chapter number three. We've been in John three for the last five years. Let's see how long it takes to get through this chapter. John chapter three. Are you guys awake this morning? Everybody good? All right. Don't do the thing that a lot of Christians do. Like they pour everything into the holiday and the next week they're all dead. All right. Like, like the Lord is still risen from the dead. You guys know that, right? All right. Good, good. John chapter number three, John chapter three. And uh, I, I do want to say a couple things uh, real quickly. Uh, this morning, I was trying to get Alexa to sing a song or do some music, you know, some, some good music, get you ready for church. And I said, hey, Alexa, nothing. Hey, Alexa, nothing. The blue light comes on. That was about it. Yeah. Well, well, here's, the th- here's what happens. I, I do that like three times. My dad goes, no, 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 papi. Alexa's getting ready for church. Leave her alone. <laughs> So, Dad, that's not how that works, but I appreciate that. Uh, John chapter 3, we're going to start uh, in verse number 19. John 3, verse 19, and read some verses and then jump right into it. John 3, verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light is come to the world and men that loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Uh, this is why Romans chapter 1 talks about their foolish heart, heart, not mind, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue of the heart. It's a spiritual issue. What you're dealing with right now, you almost cannot reason with people in society today. Uh, what I mean by that is, for example, like how do you even start a conversation with, no, I don't want grown men that are dressed like women dancing erotically in front of my children. I don't think that's appropriate. How, if that's where you have to start the conversation, how do you go anywhere like logically with a person like that? It's without reason. You say, why is it without reason? Because the foolish hearts have been darkened. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Look at verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Now, it doesn't, <laughs> that's a strong word. It doesn't mean they don't, they don't just not like the light. They hate the light. Uh, that's why until someone is submitted to the Spirit of God, all right, and, and truth is being exposed, for the most part, a lost person's reaction when truth, the truth of the Word of God shines a light on sin, they don't like it. They don't appreciate it. Matter of fact, they hate it. Until which time they recognize this is actually a good, I need this light in my life. Until they do that, they're not going to like it. And by the way, if you're a Christian and you speak the words of God, they might hate you in, in, in regards to that as well. And you need to learn to be okay with that. Understand it is not you that they hate. It is the Lord that they hate. It's the Lord in you. And you can't take it. Per- I know it sounds, it is personal sometimes, especially with family. But as a child of God, you got to learn to say, you know what? It's not me they've got a problem with. It's the Lord. All right, look if you would at verse 21. Uh, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. After these things. Now, just keep in mind, uh, from uh, the beginning of chapter 3 to what we just read, that was all a conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus. So Jesus is talking about the new birth. And he goes from the new birth, talking about condemnation, verse number 18, talks about light and light coming in the world and men loving darkness rather than light, all that stuff. All of that is a, a private conversation between Jesus Christ and Nicodemus. And then in verse 22, it switches gears and kind of goes historical. Uh, look at verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized so we're going to learn about Jesus baptizing others. And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salim because there was much water there and they came and were baptized for John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. We're going to explain what that is and why they ask about purifying when people are getting baptized. Uh, matter of fact, it's one of the problems people still have with understanding baptism today. They look at baptism as a purification of their sins And in the New Testament, on this side of the cross, that is not where we're at anymore, guys. All right, so look down, if you would, at verse number uh, 26. And they came unto John and said, him, Rabbi, that's a a master, a teacher in Israel. He that was with thee beyond Jordan, that's Jesus, uh, referring to Matthew 3, uh, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is 
fulfilled. So uh, at the end of this, what we're looking at, at the end of verse 29, John lets you know that he is the friend of the bridegroom. We're going to unpack all of that. Uh, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Brother Joe, if you ask God's blessing, and Brother, if you go to the next slide for me, if you would. Amen. Amen. All right. So let me just get into this uh, subject of baptism. Let me say that uh, in the Bible, there are uh, times where baptism is an individual thing, which is where we're at today in the New Testament. Uh, And there are times where baptism is more of a collective thing for a nation. All right. And uh, we're going to learn about this as we go through some verses here in just a moment. Uh, But basically what John and what Jesus and to an extent what Peter offers is all kind of connected. Uh, now, after Acts chapter 2, you're going to notice that at the beginning of Acts, and I, I don't want to go through an entire dissertation on the book of Acts, but uh, when you go through the book of Acts, here's what you find out. Everything starts in Jerusalem, and by the end of the book, it has to do with Antioch. All right, Everything starts with Peter and the beginning of Acts, and by the end of the book, it's with Paul. You say, why does that matter? Well, because I can spell Paul, I promise. There's an L at the end. All right, but The reason that matters is because... Uh, what you have here is you've got Israel, right, on this side, and then you've got the church and the Gentiles on this side. You know what you are? You're not Israel, you're the church. And by the way, the church does not replace Israel. Uh, a lot of heresies are taught that way. That's how the Dark Ages uh, and the Crusades and all that was fought. It was over the Holy Land and the Catholic Church saying, we repl- we're going to bring in the kingdom. And the, and the Mohammedans are saying, no, 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 we're going to bring in the kingdom. All right. And, and so let me just say this. None of us on this earth are going to bring in a kingdom. All right. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to. There's a lot of uh, terminology today in modern Christianity. I think it's because of a lack of understanding about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven. They say things like this. Uh, uh, we're doing this to bring in the kingdom. Anybody ever heard that? And I believe that people mean well when they say that. They'll say things like, the gospel must be preached in all the world before the Lord comes back because we're going to bring in the kingdom. That's a misapplication of what shows up in one of the gospels. All right. Now, now, again, to try to keep this kind of to the the matter we're looking at. All right. Understand that the kingdom of God is something that God offers. All right. Today and the kingdom of God, Luke chapter 19, is within you. I'm sorry, Luke 17. Uh, they say, uh, 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 the Lord says, uh, say not, lo, here it is, or lo, there it is. For the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, but lo, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. All right, Jesus says to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, now the kingdom of heaven is a different story. The kingdom of heaven, and, and for those that are kind of like pastor, you've taught this before, I'm glad you remember this. Just know that not everybody knows this already, all right? Uh, and so in a room like this, you've got to keep in mind, if you've been here for 10 years, you've heard this a million times, someone else has not. All right. So the, in the kingdom of heaven, that is something that is future. You say, what is it? It is a literal, physical reign of Jesus Christ reigning on the earth. All right. And so when Jesus shows up, do you know what they're talking about? You know, Jesus is talking about to his disciples. Uh, the same thing John's talking about. John says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven. All right. Why does he say that? Because the Messiah is about to show up. John is the forerunner. He's the one sent before to prepare the way of the Lord. He's not the Lord. He's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's the one that prepares the way. Well, how does he do that? Well, he tells Israel, you've got to get ready for your Messiah because the kingdom of heaven will come to Israel first. All right. So when John baptizes, look at John chapter one, John chapter one. John 1, verse number 31. John chapter 1, verse... Well, go back to verse uh, uh, 29, rather. Look at verse 29. The next day, John seeth... Je- now, I'm, I'm trying to explain why Jesus is baptizing people in his ministry. Uh, and, and, and you have to understand first why John did it, 
so that you can understand why Jesus did it, so you can understand why Peter does it the way he does it in Acts 2, which is different than what we are doing today in regards to individuals getting baptized. Look at John 1.29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was, what? Before Abraham was, I am. John chapter 8, right? Uh, Look at verse 31. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to who? And then he tells you, this is why I came baptizing with water. So the purpose that John, the reason why John is baptizing with water is to reveal uh, the the nation of Israel, the, uh, the Messiah to the nation of Israel, for them to know who their Messiah is. Uh, that's why he baptizes, all right? He's making the way for the Lord. Uh, look, if you would, just to kind of keep in mind this Israel first policy uh, in the scriptures, look at Luke chapter number 24. We're going to be in Luke 24 uh, later this morning in the morning service, Luke chapter 24. Um, I, I, I'm not ready to be done talking about the resurrection yet, guys. I'm sorry. I don't feel like one Sunday is enough to do that. Uh, look at Luke 24 and verse uh, number 21. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed who? You know what these guys, these are the two men on the way to Emmaus talking to Jesus. And they don't even know that it's Jesus yet. We're going to get into that in the morning message. And they're saying, hey, we thought he was the one that would redeem our nation. All right, look, if you would, at uh, Luke chapter number one, Luke chapter number one. All right, this is something you're going to find all throughout the New Testament. Luke chapter 1. Matter of fact, even Paul mentions this in a different way. Luke chapter 1, when the kingdom uh, was being presented, it was not being presented to the entire world. It was being presented to Israel because there were promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, so on and so forth. Uh, uh, the promises of a kingdom that would last forever, a kingdom that would be pure, a kingdom that would, that would be ruled in righteousness, and someone from David's seed would rule on that throne. And so when the Lord shows up, look at Luke chapter number 1, at his first coming, there's a recognition of this. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse number uh, 67. His father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied. This is talking about the birth of John the Baptist. So we're looking at, at, at Jesus baptizing, but we're kind of taking a step back and going, okay, why does John baptize? And we already know from Luke or John 1, John baptizes to make manifest to Israel who their Messiah is. They are to, as a nation, prepare for their Messiah. And when they got baptized, what they were saying was, I'm going to follow the, the I'm, and I'm going to be a disciple of John as John is getting us ready to get ready for the Messiah. Look at uh, Luke 1, verse 68. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed who? His people. Well, that's clearly Israel. All right. And, and how is, is, is Zacharias, what is he talking about when he's prophesying? He's talking about a future event. Well, guess what? Uh, guess who's not born yet? The Lord Jesus is not born yet. So Zechariah is prophesying about this coming Messiah. Look at verse uh, number 69. Hath raised up an horn. That's a, a symbol of power in the Old Testament. Uh, a, a ruler, an authority figure, if you will. A horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant who? David. There's a right to the throne. So all this stuff that I'm talking about has to do with a physical kingdom reigning on the earth. And that's why, John, that's why, guys, when you don't rightly divide your Bible and you don't make these distinctions, uh, you get all messed up. You know what you'll start teaching? Hey, uh, get baptized, but before you do, I want to make sure you clean up your life really good. Why? Well, what does John the Baptist say? Bring forth, therefore, uh, therefore fruit, meat for repentance. In other words, if you're not... Listen, New Testament salvation and New Testament baptism has everything to do with identity, not so much a matter of obedience of works. You understand that? And John the Baptist is saying something a little bit different. And so what you're seeing here is there's this kingdom that's being offered. Now, when Jesus baptizes, why does he do it? Uh, It's a continuation of what John the Baptist started. Jesus shows up. uh, Look, if you would, at Matthew... Go to Matthew, if you would, Matthew chapter 3, Matthew 3, and you're going to find that the message that Jesus preaches is very similar to that which John the Baptist preaches, all right? Uh, Look at uh, 
Let's see here. Matthew chapter number three. And look, if you would, at verse number one. Matthew chapter number three and uh, verse number one. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, what's at hand? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. And so then he goes on to, to show us that this is uh, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40, verse number three. Uh, and then what you find out is that when the Lord uh, shows up and he begins to preach, you know what he says? He says the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the, the difference is now the king himself is the one delivering the message. All right. It is no longer the prophet, the forerunner, the, the, the one that would prepare the way for the king, because now the king is here and he's been anointed by God, Luke chapter 4, to go out and preach and manifest himself to Israel. Now, if you think what I'm saying is that God only cares about the Jews, that's clearly not true from the scriptures. We understand that he came unto his own, John 1, and his own received him not. By the way, I don't think this, this what we're doing today, I don't think the church was an afterthought with God. I think God knew exactly what would happen. You, but you don't play chess with God and win, okay? All right, we, that's not how it works. The Lord knows the next move uh, 10 steps ahead. He knows who's going to accept him, who's going to reject him. However, God is righteous and God will not break his word just because we break ours. So Israel doesn't keep their end of the deal as a nation. That doesn't mean that God said, you know what? If they're not going to keep their end of the deal, I'm just not even going to offer it to them. No, you promised that you would. So for him to be righteous, he offers in that kingdom and shows them, hey, if you want to get prepared for this and you want to identify with the ministry of John the Baptist, and then when the Messiah shows up, you want to identify with him, which is where we're at in John chapter number three, where he starts to baptize folks. Uh, look at John four real, real quickly with me. John chapter four. And, and by the way, I think this is a phenomenal concept. Uh, it says that Jesus was baptizing. This is a really cool thought, I think. Uh, look at uh, verse number, uh, John 3, verse uh, 22. All right, John three twenty-two. And after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he, who's the he? It's Jesus, right? There he tarried with them. If it was the disciples, it would say they. But it says he, he tarried with them. And what did he do? Now, let me show you something in chapter uh, four. Look, if you would, at verse number one and two. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, parentheses, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. You know what that tells me? Uh, That tells me a couple of things. Number one, Jesus trained his disciples when they were brand spanking new to get involved in ministry. And he committed some things to them they probably weren't even worthy of, of, of having in their possession. Uh, and it's a good reminder that in ministry, sometimes we look at someone, and you may look at someone try to do something for the Lord, and you may go, oh, they're completely not ready. And you know what you need to learn to do? Keep your eyes on your lane. Because you don't know what God's doing in their life, and it's better for you to worry about what God's doing in your life. Amen? And, the fa- and by the way, you know one of the signs of a Pharisee is? They're always looking at what someone else is doing. They're on Facebook all the time, watching people. You know, they're on Instagram watching. I, 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 I don't like the people that get online and they have an account and they don't do anything, they don't post anything. All they do is watch other people. You're a creep. <laughs> Stop being a creeper, all right? Don't be, that, don't be a Pharisee. That's what the Pharisees did. If they were alive today, they'd have a Facebook account, they wouldn't post anything, and they'd watch what everybody else was saying and doing. Oh, is it quiet? Why is it so quiet? <laughs> Maybe I need to park there for a little while. I don't know. But... But what I'm trying to get at is this, is that the Pharisees are always critical, and the Lord takes his disciples that are kind of new in the ministry and goes, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the folks that say that they are willing as part of Israel to follow me and be my disciple like they were the disciple of John. Now it's my turn. John did his job. Now it's my turn to lead. Uh, and it's a, it's a, there's so many great lessons there. God is uh, going to ask you to do certain things, and at a certain point, you've done enough, and that's, God says, okay, you're done. Now it's my turn. There are things in your life, and there are things in your family's life, and things in ministry, and things in, at, at work that God's going to go, okay, I want you to do this. Yeah, but Lord, it's not turning out the way I wanted to. Okay, you did your job. Let me do mine now, right? And here, here's another lesson, though, as well. How about this? The Lord still gets the credit when his disciples are the one doing the work. Are you listening to that? You may be the one doing the work, but you're not supposed to be the one getting the credit. 
the Lord, you know why a lot of Christians get out of church? I did this thing, and I took my time, and I did this, and they didn't recognize me. Well, if you did it for recognition, you did it for the wrong motive. The way you ought to do it is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and be a blessing to his people. And, and listen, what an honor, what an honor to get to eternity and for someone to say, look at what the Lord did. And the Lord just look over to you and smile and go, I remember. You know why? Because he's not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. You're going to get up there. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, worship Adrian, pastor of New Heights Baptist Church. Dun, dun, dun. You know what it's going to be like? Oh, worship the king. And everyone's going to sing the same song, and our minds aren't going to be about, what about me? Where's my moment? I don't understand. I don't have as many followers. They don't like what I... It's going to be all about Jesus Christ. And, and so in the meantime, what you ought to learn is this, is every once in a while God gets you involved, and he has you do things, but the credit doesn't go to you. <laughs> the credit goes to him. And, and what an amazing thought, because over in Corinthians, Paul says we are laborers, 2 Corinthians 5, we are laborers, not just for God, we are laborers together with God. God works with us. What an amazing thought that is. The creator of the universe, the one that spoke the world into existence and created light and darkness. Boy, we had a great conversation before church about that, and day and night and all that kind of stuff. The creator that did all that says, I want to use you like this. And when the world looks at it, they will know that it's me working through you. I love it. I love it. And so in this passage, you see that very principle. Uh, but I don't want to get so far removed from the understanding from a doctrinal or a historical perspective that, that what is going on, and by the way, the Bible says that the law and the prophets uh, prophesied until John. John is in the Old Testament. And to be very, very clear with you guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, a lot of what's mentioned in those Gospels, all right, is during the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And with the exception of what takes place that's written on this side of the cross, most of what you're reading is Old Testament from God's perspective. I understand from the layout of the Bible, it's, New Te it's called New Testament, but without the death of the testator, there can be no testament. So the New Testament starts right here. All right, so everything up to here, you know what you're dealing with? You're still dealing with the promises made to Israel and the kingdom that would come to them. And so John first reveals it. Jesus picks up the mantle and says, guess what? I'm the king. Follow me. You say, well, what happens when the king is crucified? Well, that's when you get into a trouble as a nation. And so whenever Peter gets up, look at Acts chapter 2, because of what they did and they crucified their Messiah. Uh, look at what Peter has to say. Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, look if you would at, uh, let's see here, verse, now there's a lot of places we could jump into, but uh, look at verse number 31. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Uh, someone one time asked me, do you believe that Jesus Christ went and preached uh, to those people in hell? Yes, I do, because the Bible says so. All right. Uh, and, and look what it says here. Uh, it's not some weird teaching. It's called reading your Bible. I think a lot of people don't read their Bible. When you say something that's biblical, they go, oh, that's not right, you know? Like, like how about this? God hates certain things. Huh, huh, huh. I thought God loved everything. No, God's not a pervert. He doesn't love everything. Uh, when you got a nation. Our nation is biblically illiterate. And I don't mean that to be funny or to be mean or cynical. It's just a, rea it's just a reality. And so when you say biblical things in the public square, it's almost like, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is, is what God says from his word. And that's one of those things that people oftentimes are, are kind of unaware of. Look, if you would, at verse uh, 32. This Jesus hath God raised up. Wherefore, we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes Thy footstool, talking about the promise of the kingdom through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 36. And just keep in mind, this is Peter preaching and who he's preaching to. Therefore, let all the house of who? Know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye, who's ye? Israel, have crucified both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
And you know what he says? Repent and be baptized. Kind of that same message of the kingdom. Repent, 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 repent. The, the, it, on this side, it's like, get ready for it. On this side, it's, you guys blew it. And if you want to identify with the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Lord's going to reveal next things unto us as the book of Acts unfolds, and that's what happens. But for now, if you want to identify with Jesus Christ, Israel, you get baptized, Acts 2.38, in his name. You're not Israel. That's why we don't do it that way. All right, look at uh, Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. Now, you're an individual, and when you get baptized, uh, we apply uh, New Testament uh, salvation principles and uh, New Testament individual baptism principles, um, and we don't apply collective national repentance principles to an individual. Uh, Let me me, uh, rightly divide something for you. God deals differently with nations than he does individuals, all right? For example, you know what he says? All the nations are like a drop in the bucket, less than a drop in the bucket. And you know what? In that passage, you know what God talks about? Discarding, basically just getting rid of all of them all at one time. Now, think about that. That's the nations collectively, all right? But doesn't it also say, for God so loved the world? Well, you know why? Because he cares about individuals, and even when nations get, get, go turn their back on God, because America is living in Sodom and Gomorrah right now, even when nations do that, there are individuals in that nation that God will care about. So you have to understand to rightly divide the difference between how God deals with a nation versus how God deals with an individual. When those people are asking, what do we do? They're asking as a collective nation, what do we do now that we killed our Messiah? All right, that's different than what must I do to be saved. You see the difference? All right. Uh, look at Matthew 28, and look, if you would, at verse number 19. Go therefore, go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. When we, we baptized some folks last week. Why did we baptize them? Well, I'm gonna mention, I'll, I'll explain why in a moment. But remember the method. The method has always been consistent in the Bible. It's by immersion. It's, it's going down in the water and coming back up. Nowhere in the Bible does someone get sprinkled on their forehead. That's not found in the Bible at all. They go down, they come back up. All right, well, well when they did that, all right, in and, 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 and Acts 2 and in John and, and in the ministry of Jesus Christ, it was a national thing. But when you go out to the nations, to the Gentiles, and you preach the gospel to them, and they're converted and they trust Christ as their Savior, now you do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now, you would call that the Trinity, and there's, I'll tell you what's really interesting. For sake of time, we won't go there. But in Acts 10, there's a guy named Cornelius that gets saved. Do you know how he's baptized? He's not baptized in the name of Jesus. You know why Israel needed that? Because Israel rejected their king. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. And so they needed to be repentant of that. And so that's why they're baptized in that name. You know why you're baptized in the, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Because there's one title that is a synopsis of the Trinity. You know what it is? It's the Lord. When Cornelius is baptized in Acts 10, you know what name he's baptized in? In the name of the Lord. Not Jesus, all right? You say, why? What's the difference? Cornelius wasn't of Israel. He's a Gentile. He received Christ as his Savior individually, and he's following the Lord in individual believer's baptism. All right, so today, let's put it to you this way. Brother, go to the next slide if you would. There's a lot of people, go back to John chapter 3, that have questions about this. And, and, and maybe for some of you, there may be some more questions after going through all of that than you have answers right now. And, and I'll be honest with you, part of Sunday school, part of, the, uh, of our goal here in some cases is to make you think to where you go, well, what about this and what about this and what about this? Uh, I, I hope to wrap this all up by explaining what uh, New Testament baptism is for today. But look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and notice... In verse number, we explained again what it was for in John's baptism, in Jesus' baptism, with Peter's baptism. Uh, Look at John 3, and look, if you would, at verse 25. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. All right? Now, why is that? Look look back at John chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse number 6. John 2 and verse number 6. Remember when Jesus turns the water to wine? You guys, all right, two of you remember that. That's great. All right? (laughs) Uh, help me out here, guys. You guys are a little sleepy. <laughs> uh, so look at uh, verse number six. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. All right, so they had water pots after the manner of what? Purifying. 
All right, so the, in, there were water, if you want to call it, we'll just use this word. I don't know that it's necessarily a biblical word. There were rituals, or you can call them ceremonies, or part of the Old Testament law, cleansing practices that were in the Old Testament law. We're going to look at a couple of verses. There's a lot of them in Leviticus. I'm not going to go through all of them. Uh, but there were things that they associated with purification. Water was one of them. All right, and listen, when it comes to taking a shower, I believe in purification. Amen. I think it's good to be pure physically. I'm not saying anything about that. But let me just say this much. That purification today cannot purify your soul. All right. Uh, look, if you would, at Leviticus chapter number 15. Leviticus chapter 15. Those people that say that things in the Old Testament are just like they are today in the New Testament, uh, they're, they're not being either they're not being intellectually honest or they're truly ignorant. I don't mean that in a slam or a, a uh, to, in, a, in, a, in a mean way, just it's a, a fact of the matter. Look at Leviticus 15, and look, if you would, at verse number uh, 5. This is uh, in reference to people that have running issues, and you'll read about leprosy in chapter 13. Uh, you say, what's a running issue? Someone that's got some kind of, not to be gross, but like a sore that's open and running and just yuck, okay? And so look what it said here in verse 5. Whosoever toucheth his bed shall wash his clothes. Well, I didn't touch the guy. It doesn't matter. You touched something he sat on. Man, they were real strict back then. But can I also say it's one of the reasons why the Gentiles had plague after plague after plague after plague that wiped them all off the face of the earth and the Jews are still here because they had cleansing things and things that were really way ahead of their time medically in regards to keeping clean all right. Uh, one of the examples, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, when we think about how smart we are and how modern we are, guys, it wasn't until about 150 years ago that people started washing their hands with running water. Doctors began washing their hands with running water. Do you know what? There's a, uh, I think it was a guy named Semmelweis. Tell me if anybody know what I'm talking about. And uh, he was a doctor over in Europe, and he observed that, that these, these women, the, the, the infant mortality rate and the, these women postpartum were dying left and right. And, and what he found out was that in the morning, you know what the doctors were doing? The doctors were cutting up bodies and doing autopsies. And in the afternoon, they're delivering babies. Oh, and by the way, let me show you how they wash themselves. They'd take a bowl of water and they'd wash their hands. The next guy would come and he'd take a bowl of that same water and wash his hands. And you go, ew, collectively, right? That was us 150 years ago. We're not that advanced. The Bible's advanced. God told the Jews 1,800 years before Christ, this is how I want you to do it or 1,500 years before Christ. Either way, a long time before the Lord shows up. And you say, what is that? That shows you the advanced revelation of the Scriptures. All right, now look at, look at uh, verse 5, though. Leviticus 15, uh, verse number 5. And look what it says. He shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in what? And be unclean until the even. Look at Numbers chapter 19. Go one book to the right, Numbers 19. So what I'm trying to show you is that from the Old Testament perspective... There was uh, this idea that, that washing yourself would make not just your body clean, but your soul clean. Uh, matter of fact, what I've learned is most, a lot of heresies that are taught today, they were true at one time. They're just not true anymore. All right, like here's an example. I have to go to a priest to bring a sacrifice, not a human one anymore. No, you don't. You go directly to the high priest, Jesus Christ. I, uh, I have to bring a weekly sacrifice so that the Lord accepts me. Not anymore, you don't. You have one sacrifice, and that's Jesus Christ. He died once and for all, one sacrifice, and he sat down the right hand of the throne of God forever and ever and ever, and he'll never be sacrificed again, right? So Old Testament versus New Testament. Look at Numbers 19, verses, uh, verse number 7. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in water, and afterward... He shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until even, until the even, that's the evening. And he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water, and bathe his flesh in water, and shall be unclean till the even. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, all this is all kinds of fun stuff, and lay them up without the camp in a clean place. It shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of what? Now look what it says. It's a purification of what? You don't get purified with water today. You're purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, look at uh, Leviticus chapter 17. Go back. Sorry, guys. Go back one more time. Leviticus. Leviticus 17. So when they ask about purifying, you go, well, it's just why would they ask about that when it comes to baptism? This is why. 
because they had all these different practices from the Old Testament that involved cleansing with water. Look at Leviticus 17. And let me show you something, guys. Uh, in the Old Testament, you're going to find this, especially in the law when Moses is breaking it down and, and uh, how to be clean and kept clean and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you're going to notice that over and over and over, it'll, it'll reference when you are washing the body, it'll reference the soul in like manner. Now look, I think everyone should have taken a shower this morning, at least last night. Amen, hallelujah. And if you didn't, don't leave right now. Just go put on some more deodorant or something like that. All right, but, but you understand, I'm not against, like, this is, cleansing's a good thing. Taking baths and showers is a good thing. But you don't clean your soul that way. All right, in the Old Testament, the flesh and the soul are viewed as together. Uh, look at Leviticus chapter 17. There is no separation between the two because New Testament salvation is not a thing for them. They're, they don't have access to that. Christ has not yet come. Look at Leviticus 17, verse 15. And every soul that eateth that which... First off, let me say this right now. I'm so glad when I go for that seventh slice of pizza, which is probably gluttony, that it does not touch my soul. I'm so glad that when you at 2 a.m. go to Taco Hell and get that gordita or whatever that thing is, and you slam that thing in your gullet, that does not touch your soul. All right? Uh, uh, you, know what, you know what touches your soul? If you're a born-again child of God, there's only one thing that will ever touch your soul. Now that you're saved, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. Uh, look at verse 15, though. Uh, and every soul that eateth that which dieth of itself, or that which was torn with beasts, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the even. Then shall he be clean. Do you notice the, the reference to the soul? being connected, and, and almost like whatever you do in the body is happening in the soul. Do you get that? All right, so, so again, from the Old Testament perspective, that was the setup, all right? But thank God, in the New Testament, it is no longer that way. God separates the soul from the body once you're saved. And if it wasn't for that, you would never have assurance of your salvation. So, so the reason why they're asking about purifying with water is because that is something they were used to in the Old Testament. Uh, go to Colossians, uh, actually go to 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. You just read about purification of sin being connected with water. 1 John chapter 1. And I'll be very, very clear with you. Uh, that is no longer uh, something that is uh, biblical in nature. You say, why? That covenant has been done away with, the new covenant, uh, through Jesus Christ. So look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And look, if you would, at verse number seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ. By the way, if you ever find yourself going, those church people, um, look, maybe they did you wrong. But when you start talking that way, you know what the real problem is? You're out of fellowship with God. Because it just tells you in verse seven, if you walk in the light, you know what you're going to have automatically? The byproduct of walking in the light with the Lord is fellowship with God's people. And look what it says here. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all what? Sin. Not water. It's His blood. That's how we gain our redemption as well. So look at uh, your clothes. Look at First Peter. Go back a little bit to the left. First Peter chapter 3. So in light of all of that, uh, let, me, let me just say this. When it comes to baptism, it is not for you to have a pure soul. It's not for that. It doesn't equate to that for the New Testament believer. It's for you to have a pure conscience, a pure conscience before God. You say, why is that? Because you're told after you're saved to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And furthermore, what baptism is all about, I'm going to show you that in a moment in Romans 6, is about you being identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an identity thing more than anything else. And so if you're going to have a clean conscience before God, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to say, you know what, Lord? I am not ashamed of you. I want my conscience clean. Therefore, I'm going to follow in believer's baptism. All right, look at 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number 21. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. The like figure, all right? Talking about symbolism, not the substance, but the like figure Whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Now, in case you thought that verse was saying, and I know it can be a little bit of a tricky verse, but if you follow the whole uh, passage in the context, he's saying that baptism is the figure of what saves you. 
Not that baptism itself is what saves you. How do you know? Look at the parentheses. Look at what's found. By the way, there's a lot of good stuff in your Bible in parenthetical thought. Here's one of them. Here's one of them. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, Old Testament. You get it? All right. All right. But the answer of a good what? Conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, why does he say that? Well, if I'm going to be identified, here's Pastor Adrian's art, all right? There's a saved person, all right? And they're going to get baptized. Okay, let's be inclusive. Maybe it's a lady, all right? All right, there you go. All right, and, and so you say, what happens? Well, they get baptized. Okay, they go down. They don't stay down, though. What happens? They come back up. Why? Because it's a good, ans- a good, con- it's a good answer to God uh, in regards to your conscience about understanding that you are identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, look at Romans chapter number 6. Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. I was going to get to some stuff on the, the bride and the bridegroom and the friend and all that stuff. We didn't get there, and that's okay. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. You guys seem really shocked we didn't get there. <laughs> Romans chapter number 6. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, let me ask you a question. Who here still sins? All right, so when he tells you you're dead to sin, and you're like, well, I'm not. But you are. But you're not. But you are. You see, see, your, your soul is dead to sin. But your flesh wants it. And that's why in the very next chapter, Paul goes, this is why you got this battle going back and forth. So in Romans 5, he gives us a history of sin. In Romans 6, he gives us the, the doctrinal position of the Christian in regards to sin. In Romans 7, he gives us the practical application of our position with sin and how we have to fight it and battle it. And the flesh lusteth against the spirit, Galatians 5, and the spirit against the flesh. But look at uh, what, what it says here in verse 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were what? Into Jesus Christ were baptized into his what? Now, let me be very clear with you, and this is where I don't want to confuse anybody, but Romans 6, in all honesty, is not talking about water baptism. All right? Uh, Romans 6, do I have it here on the board? Yeah. Well, it's actually talking about spiritual baptism, which you read about in 1 Corinthians 12, which is being baptized in the body of Christ. But, But both the spiritual and the physical, they have one thing in common. It's a matter of identity. All right? So when you get saved, automatically you are baptized in the Spirit of God. You are baptized into the body of Christ through the Spirit of God. All right? If you're saved and you're like, I just want to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. I want to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. I want to get baptized. You've already been baptized in the Holy Ghost if you're saved. All right? You don't, you don't need a second blessing or whatever they call it. Uh, you've already received that when you, got, when you got saved. But if you want to show that on the outside, what God did on the inside when you got saved, that's when you follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And you say, what is it all about? It's a matter of identity. I want to identify not so much with a kingdom that's coming, but with the Savior that came and cha- saved my soul and changed my life. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what I want the world to see in me now. I don't want them to say, listen, I know I still have a battle with the flesh. I'm not perfect, but I want them to know by the grace of God, I want to identify and, uh, with and I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as a disciple. And so when we talked about baptism today, it's a little bit different than what's going on over here. Yes, it was a matter of identity, but it was an identity connected to a kingdom. In this case today, it's you as an individual child of God uh, identifying with your Savior and saying, I I don't care what the world thinks about me. I want everyone to know that that is my new identity. All right. Uh, You know what the world is suffering from today? Identity crisis. You know, men want to be women, women want to be men. Some kids want to be cats, you know, and it used to be if a kid, I'm not making this up. There was a girl in middle school. I was in seventh, sixth, seventh grade. It was Aragon Middle School in Fountain, Colorado. School's not there anymore. Now it's called Fountain Fort, Fountain Fort Carson Middle School. But anyways, Aragon Middle School, there was a girl named Jody. And Jody actually went to our church. She got saved, came to our church, everything like that. Really cool. But Jody literally used to run around. We, we always thought she was weird. Jody would run around the field like a horse. And she would neigh. And like, I mean, the whole, you know, like, 
and all that kind of stuff. If that was like, that was in the 90s. If that was today, they'd be like, let's get her a little, a little saddle and let's, let's put her a little over here. Let's get her some grain. Like, no, you psycho. She's not really a horse. She's pretending to be, right? But, but people do struggle with, with identity. Can I just say this much? Uh, your your identity is not your job. You know why some Christians, have, they have a hard time, hard time with following the Lord Jesus Christ because their job's first. Your identity is not the amount of money you have in the bank. Man, you know what? You're going to leave all that stuff behind anyways. All right? I'm not saying you shouldn't save or be fiscally responsible, but, but just understand it's not going to last forever. All right? And some people, you know, they, they identify with their family over Jesus Christ. So when family pushes them a little bit and goes, oh, you're one of those Jesus freaks, they go, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't be that, that radical. You know what your problem is? You identify more with them than you do with your Savior. <laughs> Your first identity, and here's another one. I'm black, I'm white, I'm Hispanic, I'm Asian. I hate those census things. They give you, are you Latino or Hispanic? Is there a difference? You know, Latin American, then are you white? They have you check white, but then you gotta go down like, are you Mexican, Puerto Rican? Like, who cares? Right? But, but whatever, that's the census, I understand that. But, but, but some people have a hard time to go, this is my identity. Your, your identity, once you're saved. Here's another one. I am woman, hear me roar. When you're saved, it's not about you being a woman or a man. It's about you being a child of God. First and foremost, everything comes after that. Everything after the man, woman, job, money, all, those are real categories of life. But they're to be viewed in light of your identity in Christ, not the other way around. So when you get baptized physically, you are showing on the outside what happened on the inside when you were spiritually baptized at the moment of salvation. It is not a washing away of the sins of the flesh, but rather it is a matter of a good conscience toward God. So when we talk about baptism, what those that recently got baptized, that's, that's why they did it. And that's why we do it today. Now, there would be some people that would say um, baptism altogether is not for the Christian today. I would disagree with that. Uh, look at First Corinthians chapter number one. First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one. I've had people say, "Well, you know, if you rightly divide the Bible, you'll find out that baptism is not for today." Um, now, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get stuck in the weeds, and I don't like. I, I really don't like labels because once you get in the labels, you put everything in a box. It's really hard to do that because one person puts you in a box that isn't right and whatever else, but. But if you want to try to identify as closely as we can biblically how the Bible is laid out so that you can understand it, the word would be it's dispensational, meaning God deals with different people in different times in different ways. All right, how he deals with the church today, as we already saw, is not how he dealt with the Old Testament nation of Israel. All right, uh, so, so that, that much is true. However, what you never want to do is go so far with some, I, I'll tell you what men are guilty of. Uh, my, I go to the doctor and they say, take two of these. And take them three times a day, I'm like, I'll just take six right now. <laughs> get it over and done with, amen? My wife's like, you're an idiot. I'm like, well, it makes, math makes sense to me, right? Get it done with. So sometimes more of a good thing is not always better. Sometimes you, if you get ahead of God on something, you go, well, it's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing, but now you're getting ahead of God. And there's, there's something called being a hyper-dispensationalist, which basically means this, that you try to overly divide the Bible. That's why the Bible says to rightly divide. You can either overly divide it or not divide it at all. Neither one of those extremes is right. So there are some people that say we shouldn't baptize at all today because that was something for Israel. Well, uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And look, if you would, at uh, uh, verse number 17. Here's the verse that they hang their hat on. For Christ sent me not to baptize. See, see, Paul says Christ didn't send him to baptize. See, he didn't so, just uh, slow, do thyself no harm. Let's read the whole passage. Go, go back to verse number uh, 15. Lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name, and I baptized also the household of Stephanus. So he did baptize. Right. What he's saying is the reason I came to preach was not to preach baptism, but to preach the gospel. Baptism is a byproduct of the gospel, not the other way around. It's the cart before the horse. And this is when a lot of, listen, you've talked to a lot of people. If you're a witness, you know that you say, are you saved? You know what they'll say? Oh, yeah, I was baptized when I was a baby. Or, yeah, I got baptized when I was 10. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Tell me more about it. You know, and they start talking about it, and you start realizing they don't understand what salvation actually is. 
All right, so, so Christ, uh, Paul is trying to say, look, baptism is not our main message. The main message is the gospel. Baptism complements that message because what baptism does is it po- in the New Testament is it points people back to the gospel message. You say, what is the gospel? Look at 1 Corinthians 15. We'll close here. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I just kind of diverted from just the historical narrative of Jesus baptizing people, and I wanted you to kind of understand what, what, what does baptism fit in the Bible and what is John's all about? What is Jesus is all about? What is Peter's about? What is it we do today? Well, baptism today is a complementary action that points people back to the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. There's the first part, according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he what? Rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So when someone gets baptized, it is a reminder that Christ died and was buried. When you got saved, your old man in God's eyes, the old nature is now dead. And God wants you to treat that thing like it's buried and gone. And now you are to walk in newness of life. I know I told you 1 Corinthians 15 would be the last one. I lied. Romans 6. I promise this is the last one. Romans 6. Romans 6. Look, if you would, I, I, I kind of missed reading some of this to you. Romans 6. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, verse 4, Romans 6, even so we also should walk in what? Like you're raised up. Like God says, okay, the old Adrian with all his sins in my eyes has been buried. It's gone. He's gone. There's a new Adrian. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Live in light of him. Don't live in light of the one that's dead in the ground. That's the challenge for the New Testament believer. All right? Uh, uh, So your challenge is this. I am no longer going to view myself and identify myself with the old life, but rather my new life, which is a perfect segue in this morning's message, let's all stand. We'll be dismissed in order of prayer and, and take a break, and uh, we'll get into our morning service after that. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the word of God. Thank you for the gospel.